Last fall, uh, this past fall, I had uh, took an overnight retreat, something I do on occasion, and my retreat center was about 30 miles to the north from our house. I had recently gotten a new used bike that I was excited about, and I had learned about some trails that go into the north that I was excited about and wanted to try those out and thought it would be so fun. And um, we've got one car, so wife needed the car, and I could have taken the Metro North, but I was like, no, I'm going to take my bike. It's going to be so relaxing and spiritual. Um, so, so I was really excited, actually, to start the trip. That was really fun. I was packing very strategically. Everything had to be in one bag. I was packing, like, protein and mapping out my route and getting a new tube for my bike. And just, like, all of the preparation felt like, this is going to be awesome. And um, I just remember pushing off and, and going on the trail and, and just having so much fun zooming north with no carbon footprint whatsoever. Um, and then um, about at mile 15, uh, the whole thing started to get very old. Uh, mile 15 of my, of my journey north, you know, uh, my back, my lower back started to hurt because I had a backpack on. Lower back was working hard to support that. Um, just the sheer act of pedaling. It's just like, man, this is like not fun anymore. Pedaling, pedaling, there's not much variety to this. And, um, you know, the further north you get into the suburbs, you know, the, the bike trails get narrower and narrower. Uh, the, the roads for cars get wider and wider, don't they? And, um, and then it began to snow at some point. It began to snow. So, uh, you know, all the joy of this beginning you know, sort of evaporated with all the conditions. Now, I had joy ahead of me. I had a place to rest. I had a chair to read in. I had food to eat. I mean, it was, I had joy ahead of me, but I, I didn't yet have possession of it. It was about 15 miles to the north. The beginning joy was about 15 miles to the south, and all I could do is just keep pedaling. So what did I do? I ha- actually had to think about the future joy to ponder it. Why? Because I needed to keep pedaling to get there. Psalm 126 is for mile 15 of our spiritual pilgrimage. There's joy behind us. There's the excitement of meeting God for the first time, the excitement of, of starting Lent at the very beginning on Ash Wednesday. Um, there, there's hope. There's answered prayer in our past. Now, there's joy ahead of us as well. There's a great feast to come. There's a great reunion with unimaginable overflow. There's triumph and there's laughter, but right now, it's mile 15. It just feels like endless pedaling, just pedaling and pedaling with a sore back and narrowing roads. So what does Psalm 126 do? Psalm 126 is gonna draw from the joy of our past, like deep into a well. It's gonna draw from that deep well of joy, and then it's also gonna borrow from future joy. And it's going to bring both to bear in the present as we are in mile 15 with Jesus. We've got the long memory of joy that precedes even our birth. A long memory of joy that is our inheritance. And then there's a long future of joy, that Easter feast where all is made new. Uh, So Um, We're going to look at two parts of Psalm 126. The first part is really the memory of joy, verses 1 through 3. And the future of joy is more verses 4 through 6. Let's talk about the memory of joy. 
verse one of Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The pilgrims who sing Psalm 126 as they head step by step up to Jerusalem for the great feast say this to themselves. Man, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, it was like a dream. That's how good it was. They remember when the Lord rescued them, when the Lord restored their life, when the Lord performed a miracle and left them in awe. You know, maybe they're thinking about their ancestors that stood on the banks of the Red Sea with just mouths agape. Like, I can't believe it. Is Pharaoh and his army really floating in the Red Sea? I mean, I've been afraid of them my whole life. I've been a slave to them my whole life. And I'm really free right now. And they're really not my, you know, foe anymore because they're floating in the Red Sea. Am I dreaming? I mean, would someone pinch me that this is like a real historical event that's happening? Has the Lord really done this? Or maybe they're remembering when the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated. I mean, is this really happening? For thousands of years, we've been homeless. For thousands of years, we've been, we've been wandering, and it's been a tabernacle and all kinds of provisions for the road, but the Lord has never had a house, and we've never had a capital. We've never had a true home before. But, but here we are, I mean, you know, the glory of the Lord is filling the temple and we can make sacrifices and we can come here all, every feast day. Or maybe they're remembering times of spiritual renewal after the temple was dedicated when, when a king or a prophet would, would recover the sacred scripture and remove pagan practices and the Lord would make his holy presence felt. Kings like Josiah, and the people, maybe they thought to themselves, wow, is this really happening? Is the Lord really restoring the fortunes of Zion? Do we really have the favor of God again? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, man, it was like a dream. We could barely believe it. This is something that the Lord does consistently in history. He enters history with grace, and he surprises us with his power. And I wonder if you have a memory of joy. You know, how would you fill in the blank? When the Lord blank, we were like those who dream. Do you have a way to fill in the blank from your own personal history? You know, when the Lord restored the broken marriage, we were like those who dream. When the Lord restored my broken health, we were like those who dream. When the Lord totally changed my life after I was completely addicted, we were like those who dream. When the Lord answered my prayers for a wayward child, we were like those who dream. When I got let go of my job, but then the Lord provided an even better job, we were like those who dream. Do you have a way to fill in the blank? Do you have a memory of joy? Um, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that uh, I had a cluster of unexpected medical bills arrive in our mailbox a few years ago. And... There was anxiety and there was prayers. Several months after I got those first set of bills, one of the medical providers sent me a letter dated December 24th. And it said, your bill has been updated and the new amount is below. And the new amount was zero dollars. I remember looking at that zero long and hard 
and just being like, is this real? Am I dreaming right now? Is that really zero? Because that was not zero before. <laughs> Look at verse two. Kind of goes into this. Verse two. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Like, there's not room for anything else in our mouth except laughing. It's just filled. And then our tongue with shouts of joy. Our, t- our tongue, they had nothing else to say except joyful things. We just had laughter and joy, like, overflowing from our mouth. Have you ever, when was the last time you, like, cry laughed? You know what I mean? I know you know how to cry laugh. You remember the last time that you just, you yelled so hard, you yelled so loud that, that you just woke people up and sort of maybe even scared people around you? And the, the pilgrims can remember this time. It's not now. It was in the past, and they're remembering it. They're like, I remember the time when it felt like I was dreaming Someone had to pinch me. All I could do was cry laugh. All I could do was shout in triumph. You can even picture what did they do when things were so good. Oh, they probably poured their best wine. They probably served up the best meat. They fired fired up the best musicians and they just laughed and they just celebrated and they just drank it all in. Hey, look, this isn't a dream. We're celebrating, we're eating, we're feasting. And in the process they do wake up their neighbors. Look at the second part of verse two. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I mean, this is how loud they're celebrating, really. It's like, you know, you can, if you've ever walked by a room where people are like, you know, lifting the rafters because they're just laughing so hard, you're peeking in like, what's so funny? What's so awesome in their life? Like, maybe I can, we can get ourselves invited to this party. Um, <laughs> Wow, the Lord has done some great things for them. Like, they must be, they must have some favor of God in their life. This is all part of the memory of joy, okay? Man, how the Lord surprised us, and it felt like a dream, and how it filled us with triumph and joy, and how the people around us took notice and verbalized good theology as a result, and... um, they just treasure these moments. They just remember these moments in mile 15. And they're just like drawing from this deep well of memory. And they say, uh, they say in verse three, what do they say? The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. You see how the memory of joy is coming into the present. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. This is what we say uh, when we celebrate the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We come to this table here and we say, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. We are currently lifting up our hearts in joy because it is right and good and a very good thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to God for the ways he's acted in our past. I mean, we come to this table and we remember God's taken away our shame. God's given us mercy. We remember, we look at this cross and we're like, wow, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. When we, as we will on Easter Sunday, celebrate the sacrament of baptism, we're like, wow, I remember when Jesus united me, uh, united me to himself and he came close and he washed me clean of all sin and all uncleanness and, and he gave me, he filled me with his joy and his life and man, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, isn't this 
slightly unhealthy? I mean, isn't this nostalgia? Isn't this like living in the past? Failure to embrace God's present, failure to embrace God's future. Isn't this living in the past? And it's a good question because if it's not good to live in the past. Nostalgia uh, has its place, but it can definitely be overdone. I mean, living in the past can completely blind us to whatever God is doing right now. So what's the difference? I was thinking about this. You know, living in the past is glorifying the past. Living the past is saying that time period has done great things for us. And we are depressed now because we're not in that time period anymore. That's living in the past. Psalm 126 isn't living in the past. Psalm 126 is the living past. Meaning the Lord has done great things for us. I look back to the past and I see the Lord. I see God's goodness. It wasn't the time period that was good to me. It was the living Lord who was there. And he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still good. And I still have him. I haven't been kept from God's goodness just because I'm in a different time period. Let's say there was a time in your life that was good. You know, when you look back, it did seem like an awesome time period that you wish you could sort of get back to. Maybe it was when your first child was born or when your kids were young or when you were accepted to the school of your dreams, uh, when you first became a Christian and you just tasted the grace of God for the first time. Or maybe it was when you fell in love or maybe it was when you were part of an awesome church plant. Like maybe it was like, oh, those sweet, sweet days when everything was new and Uh, Now, nostalgia would glorify that time period, but worship would recognize the hand of God and the presence of grace in that time and say the Lord has done great things for us, and because he's alive today, we are glad indeed. Um, So uh, it's good. I want to say that it is good to draw from the great memory of joy, that this is something that worshipers do regularly that it is good to remember the goodness of God, that there's no golden era, there really is no golden era in life or in history. There's always a mix of a lot of things. So it's good for us to look back and remember God, God's grace, God's joy, God's presence, especially in mile 15. That's the memory of joy. Let's talk about the future of joy. The future of joy. I want you to see if you can hear and pick up on the notes of longing and expectation in the next few verses. As the pilgrims are climbing the Judean hills, getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, and they can see the great city in their sights, but it's still a speck, because that's a long way off, and it's a long way up. And so as they climb, as they put one foot in front of the other, they pray this, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Look, the Lord brought joy to them in their past, and now they're, they're starting to really yearn for the future joy, borrowing from the future joy in mile 15. I love the boldness of verse four. The bold prayer of verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. 
It's important to know what the Negev is. Negev is a kind of a sun-baked desert. The Negev could not sustain life. It was just sort of a hot, barren tract of land. But every once in a while, there would be this sudden rain that would come through the Negev. And it makes the land blossom with vegetation. The ditches of Negev would uh, all of a sudden become streams and waterways. And the cracked earth would become a lush flower bed. And it was all just an act of grace. It, was like, it wasn't like they were doing lots of gardening work in the Negev. Like you couldn't even live in the Negev. But every once in a while, man, that, the rain from heaven would just fall. And boom, the land would be transformed. And that's what they want in their life. The pilgrims are asking God for this, for their life. They're asking for a sheer and sudden outpouring of God's grace. They ask him to transform their life, to transform their reality overnight. Do you have a Negev prayer in your heart? A bold prayer for the grace of God to restore our cracked earth? Because God answers these prayers. He answers these prayers for, for people and for churches and for cities. He can free people of terrible conditions, and he can do it overnight. And he has done it, and he is doing it. Some of you know this. You, maybe he's done it in your life or people that you know. Um, maybe you've read in Mark 5, the Gerasene demoniac. I mean, people who the community surrounded him, tried to help him, couldn't help him. He was living alone. He was destroying himself. He, and Jesus came along and within a sort of an afternoon delivered this man from a legion of unclean spirits. I once met a woman from Iran. Some of you know this, who... She was set free from an addiction to a type of rock cocaine that was extremely addictive. She was living on the streets of Iran, um, and someone told her, like, hey, you should cry out to Jesus to help you. And so she did. And one night, she experienced the living, uh, powerful presence of Jesus, uh, like entering her, her room, held her all night long. In the morning, she was set free of crack cocaine. Um, She's now a wife. Uh, she's now a mother. She's now a follower of Jesus. I've, uh, and so Jesus can do that. He can set people free overnight. He can soften the hardest of hearts as well. I, I once met a man from Iran whose life revolved around physical violence. He showed me a picture of himself on his iPad and said, this is me. And it was just this man. He looked crazed. And uh, this was when his fighting days, when, when he lived to fight. At one point, he overheard on the street someone mention that God was a father. That's all he heard. And the Holy Spirit took that bit of truth, applied it to his heart, and it melted. And he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, he went from spiritual desert to spiritual garden overnight. It was like streams in the Negev, boom, the grace of God fell on him. Now, these two people, this, this man and this woman, are married they were put in prison after they gave their lives to Jesus, and they planted a church in the, in the prison, in the Iranian prison. God can do that. This is like streams in the negative, like, do it again, Lord, do it again. Um, he can bring immediate spiritual renewal to an entire city simply by visiting that city with his presence. You read about that in the book of Jonah. I mean, they repented. They repented overnight. Churches can go from spiritual desert to spiritual garden overnight. Cities can. Countries can. 
Sometimes God gives gifts to us with little to no participation from us. Um, Now, we will all experience this if we're in Christ on the other side of death. We'll be like, whoa, this is lots of grace just flowing to me right now. Um, But he can do it in our lifetime too. And uh, we can be confident of future joy and pray these negative prayers. Let your grace transform us from desert to a flower bed overnight. Um, We don't just pray negative prayers. You know what? We have to pray a whole lot of seed prayers. Seed prayers. We pray seed prayers as we work the hard soil. We've all got soil to work. We pray seed prayers as we sweat. We pray seed prayers as we cry. We pray seed prayers as we bleed. We pray seed prayers as we invest our life and labor into the ground in obedience to the Lord. Verse five, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Um, uh, Verse six, he who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So we've got a couple different pictures that the psalmist is painting, and I wonder if we can see this together. Verse five, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Picture this, sort of an agricultural field, and there's a whole group of people in the field. They're, they're weeping. We don't know why they're weeping. Maybe it's because they've uh, lost children. Maybe it's because they lost last year's crops. Maybe it's because uh, there's been terrible agricultural devastation, terrible personal devastation. They're weeping. But they're also doing some backbreaking labor. They're sort of bent over planting seeds in, in the ground. And then the mosaic sort of changes. It's almost like um, this, this overnight. Here we go from sowing to, to reaping. And, and, and then it says, they'll reap with shouts of joy. Those same people in the same garden they're no longer weeping, they're cry laughing, okay? They're rejoicing, and uh, all of a sudden, the ground sort of swamps them with fruit and vegetables, and they're like, wow, we've got a harvest here, and these same seeds, it's like this fast forward before and after picture. They've, they've been, they're reaping seeds they sowed with their own hands on the other end of calluses, on the other end of bleeding, on the other end of tears, On the other end of heavy personal involvement, they are experiencing the grace of God over time. Now, look at verse six. There's a a different but overlapping um, picture here. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So here we have, there's a man, he's leaving his home. Um. Why is he leaving his home? We don't know why. Maybe foreign armies have taken over and said, give me the deed, this is my house now, soldiers are gonna stay here, get out. You're going with the the conquering general and you're gonna live somewhere else and you're gonna earn bread for somebody else and maybe that's why this man is weeping. Or maybe he's weeping because his own land isn't bearing fruit anymore and he's gotta leave. For, For whatever reason, he's leaving home, and not for the day. He's going on a pilgrimage he doesn't want to go on. He's weeping, but he's got seed in his pocket. Maybe he's got kids behind him, maybe a wife behind him, maybe, maybe the whole family's going out, and, and whatever it is, he's got seed. He's got seed in his pockets. 
and he's going out not knowing what's gonna happen to this seed. I mean, what's gonna happen? But all of a sudden, it's like the same guy, but it changes, and he's got sheaves with him, and he's laughing. He, He was going out weeping, and now he's laughing. Now he's coming home to a homecoming, not to an empty house, but there's likely a whole family, a whole clan welcoming him in. And man, seed prayers brought him back. The pilgrims know they're gonna be coming home one day. They're gonna be welcomed home by the living Lord. And all the seeds they sow now in tears, they're gonna reap with shouts of joy and come home bearing sheaves. That's how good God is. There's future joy. Not just a memory of joy, there is joy to come. And verses four through six show us this slow burn miracle that we get to participate in with our tears, with a seed, with a seed of our life, with our efforts. Can you see yourself in these pictures? Can you see yourself working the ground, whatever that represents for you? Just the daily work of parenting your children, leading your small group, working your job, seeking to be a person of integrity there where you work, hosting your neighbors for dinner, praying for the burdens on your heart, showing up to recovery group, worshiping here at Uplift High School on a Sunday. Can you see yourself grieving as you work? Can you see yourself in this places of faithfulness where you're sowing your seed day in and day out, but you're grieving? Uh, You're unsure how or if your efforts matter at all. You're sort of gutted by losses, disappointments that can't be reversed, maybe feeling displaced and unsettled, like I'm not home yet. And yet you pray. You've got setbacks in your life, but you're praying. You're praying with tears. Now, picture yourself in the same field, by faith, laughing, relieved, I mean celebrating, because the harvest has come in, it's a bumper crop, the Lord has been good, he's answered our prayers, and Psalm 126 is a true picture of our future together in the Lord. Can you see the harvest? Can you see heaven? Can you see the goodness of God in your future? Jesus left his home in heaven. He left bearing the seed of his own love, bearing the seed of his own body, bearing the seed of his own life, And he went out weeping. Uh, He went out praying with tears along his life in Gethsemane, even in Jerusalem. Hey, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers chicks, but you're not listening. He planted his life into the ground. I mean, he really did lay out everything, his blood, his sweat, his tears, his very life into the soil of this earth. And the father brought a harvest of resurrection. He brought him not only out of death, but he gave him sheaves. I mean, he gave him the sheaves of his daughters and sons, and he came home laughing. He came home to heaven, like, full of of gifts to give to men. He poured out his Holy Spirit. When we go sowing, we don't go sowing alone. When we go weeping, we don't go weeping alone. When we pray, we don't pray alone. We have this faithful and merciful high priest who goes with us into every situation where we are bearing seed for sowing. And we know 
that in Jesus he will work a slow burn miracle through his grace and that one day our tears and our work will give way to great joy. Though we may be weeping now, today, mile 15 of Lent, okay? Mile 15 of life, mile 15 of our spiritual pilgrimage, the memory of joy and the future of joy comes to our present as we pedal in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna take a time, a uh, couple moments to pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to ask in your name for everyone here that they would be uh, given access to their memory of joy. Lord, for all that have grown weary or discouraged, I pray that you would open up the memory of joy like opening up a, a well that has been plugged up and has gone into disrepair and that you would restore it so that we could all draw from our own memory of joy, individually, as families, as a church. Lord, let us draw back into that memory of joy where the Lord has done great things for us. Lord, even the joy that preceded us in salvation history, in the history of our families, those who've gone before us, would you open up the great memory of joy of how you've worked in the past? And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now to open up the future of joy, that as it were sort of taking back curtains that have blocked out the sun from streaming in through the windows, that you would now let us see through the window of faith our future in Christ, our future of joy. Let it flood into our souls and into our worship. We pray that in whatever ways there's been blacked out windows, that you would now open up those windows and open up our future joy so that we can be refreshed by you and that also, Lord, we can, be, uh, we, can, we, can, we can borrow from the future joy that is to come, that it would be present here through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, let us now in mile 15 uh, walk patiently and joyfully to Jerusalem, uh, whatever it is, Lord, maybe weeping, maybe laughing, uh, with great hope, and we pray that the light of the resurrection would lead us every step. In the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit.